Ashley Brock reading Nora Roberts' book, Holding the Dream, Chapter 2. She got through the days and the nights and the work. There was no choice but to cope. For the first time in her life, Kate felt there was no one she could talk to. Each time she felt herself tipping, needing to reach for the phone or run to Templeton House, she yanked herself back. She could not, would not, pour out this misery, these fears, the people who loved her. They would stand by her. There was no doubt about that. But this was a burden she had to carry herself. And one she hoped she could hide in some dark corner of her mind. Eventually she would be able to let it rest. To stop feeling compelled to pick it up again and again and examine it. She considered herself practical, intelligent, and strong. Indeed, she couldn't understand how anyone could be the latter without the two formers. Till this, her life had been exactly as she wanted it. Her career was cruising along at a safe and, yes, intelligent speed. She had a reputation of bit of an associate as a clear-headed, hard-working CPA who could handle complex accounts without complaint. Eventually, she expected to be offered a full partnership. When that time came, she would ascend yet another rung of her personal ladder of success. She had family she loved and who loved her, and friends, well, her closest friends were family, and what could be more convenient than that? She adored them, had loved growing up at Templeton House, overlooking the wild, sweeping cliffs of Burst Big Sur. There's nothing she wouldn't do for Aunt Susie and Uncle Tommy, that including keeping what she had learned weeks before in her office to herself. She wouldn't question them, though questions burned inside her. She wouldn't share the pain or the problem with Laura or Margot, though she had always shared everything with them. She would suppress, ignore, and forget. That she had to believe would be best for everyone. Her entire life had been focused on doing her best, being the best, making her family proud. Now she felt she had more to prove, more to be. Every success she had enjoyed could be traced back to the moment when they had opened their home and their hearts to her. So she promised herself to look forward rather than back, to go on with the routine that had become her life. Under ordinary ordinary circumstances treasure hunting wouldn't be considered routine but when it involved Sapphiria's diary when it included Laura and Margot and Laura's two daughters it was an event it was a mission the legend of Sapphiria that doomed young girl who had flung herself off the cliffs rather than face a life without her true love had fascinated the three of them all their lives the beautiful spanish girl had loved felipe had met him in the secret walked with him along the cliffs in the wind in the rain he had gone off to fight the americans to prove himself worthy of her promising to come back to marry her and build a life with her but he had not come back when sophia learned he had been killed in battle. She had walked these cliffs again, had stood on the edge of the world, and overcome with grief, had flung herself over it. The romance of it, the mystery, the glamour had been irresistible to the three women, and of course, the possibility of finding the dowry that Sophia had hidden away before she leaped into the sea added challenge. On most Sundays, Kate could be found on the cliffs, wielding a metal detector or a spade, for months ever since the morning that Margot, at a crossroads in her life, had found a single gold doubloon the three had met there to search. Or maybe they gathered not so much in hopes of uncovering a chest of gold as simply to enjoy each other's company. It was nearly May, and after the jangled nerves she had suffered, leading up to April 15 and the income tax deadline, Kate was thrilled to be out in the sun. It was what she needed, she was sure. It helped, 
as work helped to keep her mind off the file she had hidden in her apartment, the file on her father that she had carefully organized, helped to block out the worries and the ache in her heart and the stress of wondering if she'd done the right thing by hiring a detective to look into a 20-year-old case. Her muscles protested, protested a bit as she swept the metal detection over a new section and scrub. Of scrub. She sweated lightly under her t-shirt. She wouldn't think of it, she promised herself. Not today. Not here. She wouldn't think of it at all until the detective's report was complete. She had promised a day to herself for her family, and nothing would get in the way. The gorgeous breeze ruffled her short cap of black hair. Her skin was dusky, an inheritance from the Italian branch of her mother's family. Though beneath it was what Margot called a captain's pallor. A few days in the sun, she decided, would fix that. She lost a little weight in the last few weeks of crunch time, and yes, because of the shock of discovering what her father had done, but she intended to put it back on. She always had hopes of putting some meat on her stubbornly thin bones. She didn't have Margot's height or stunning build or Laura's lovely fr fragility. She was, Kate had always thought, average, average and skinny, with an angular face to match her angular body. What she had hoped for dimples, or the dash of a few charming freckles, or deep green eyes instead of ordinary brown, but she'd been too practical to dwell on it for long. She had a good brain and skill with figures, and that was what she needed to succeed. She reached down for the jug of lemonade and Sullivan had sent along. After a long, indulgent drink, Kate cast a scrowl in Margaret's direction. Are you just going to sit there all afternoon while the rest of us work? Margot stretched luxuriously on a rock, her sex-pot body draped in what, for Margot Sullivan Templeton, was casual wear of red leggings and a matching shirt. We're a little tired today, she claimed and patted her flat belly. Her. Ever since you found out you're pregnant, you've been finding excuses to sit on your butt. Margot flashed a smile and tossed her long blonde hair behind her shoulders. Josh doesn't want me to overdo. You're playing that one for all it's worth, Kate grumbled. Damn right I am. Delighted with her life in general, Margaret crossed her long, gorgeous legs. He's so sweet and attentive into her. Jesus, Kate, we've made ourselves a baby. Maybe the idea of two of her favorite people being blindly in love. Starting their own family did bring Kate a warm glow, but she was bound by tradition to snipe at Margot whenever possible. At least you could look haggard, throw up every morning, faint now and again. I'll never felt better in my life. Because it's true, Margaret rose and took them out of the day. Even giving up smoking hasn't been as hard as I thought it would. I never imagined I wanted to be a mother. Now it's all I can think about. You're going to be a fabulous mother. Kate murmured. Just fabulous. Yes, I am. Margot studied Laura, who was giggling and digging at a patch of scrubbering earth with her two little girls. I've got an awfully good role model right there. This past year's been hell for her, but she's never wavered. Neglect, adultery, divorce, Kate said quietly, not one of the fiddle breeze to carry words. Not a lot of fun and games. The girls have helped keep her centered in the shop. Yeah, and speaking of the shop, Marco turned the detector off, leaned on it. If these past couple of weeks are an indication, we may have to hire some help. I'm not going to be able to give pretenses 10 and 12 hours a day after the baby comes. I was thinking of budget. Kate frowned the upscale second-hand boutique that had opened on Canterbury Road was primarily Margot and Laura's domain, but as the third partner in the fledging enterprise, Kate crunched numbers for it when she could squeeze out the time. You've got over six months left. That is holiday shopping time. We can think about hiring seasonal help then. Sorry, Margot handed the metal detector back to Kate. The business is doing better than any of us anticipated. Don't you think it's time to loosen up?
No, Kate switched the machine back on. We haven't been open a full year yet. You start talking, taking on outside help, you'll got Social Security withholding unemployment. Well, yes, but I can start helping out on Saturdays if necessary. And I've got my vacation time coming up. Work, she thought I can work and nothing. I can get pretense a couple of weeks full time. Kate, a vacation means white sand beaches, Europe, a scolded affair, not clerking in a shop. Kate nearly raised an eyebrow. I forgot who I was talking to. Morgan Morgan, the original all worker, no play girl. That was always to bounce you, the quintessential all play girl. Anyway, I'm one third earner of pretenses. I believe in protecting my investments. She scrawled at the ground, kicking. Hell, there's not even a bottle cap to give us a little beeping thrill here. Are you feeling all right? Margot's eyes narrowed, looking close. You look a little washed out. And frail, she realized. Frail and edgy. If I didn't know better, I'd say you were the one who was pregnant. That would be a good trick since I haven't had sex in what feels like the last millennium. <laughs> Which could be why you seem edgy and washed out. But she didn't. Really, Kate? What's going on? She wanted to say it, spill it all out of it. Knew what she did. She would find comfort, support, loyalty, whatever she needed. Her problems reminded herself. Nothing. Kate made herself look down, her nose disdainfully. Except... I'm the one doing all the work and my arms are falling off while you sit on your rock and pose for a glamorous mother's to be photo shoot. She wrote in her shoulders. I need a break. Margaret stared at her friend for another moment, tapping her fingers on him. Fine, I'm hungry anyways. Let's see what Mom packed. Opening the nearby hamper, Margaret let out a long hurtful Oh, gold fried chicken. Kate peeled out peeked in the hamper. Five minutes more, she decided then she was digging in Mrs. Williams' chicken was bound to race the nagging hunger pants. Is Josh back from London? Hmm? Margaret told her. Tomorrow, Templeton London did a little remodeling, so he's going to bring back some stock for the shop. And I asked him to check with some of my contacts there, so we may have a new, nice new supply. It would save me a buying trip. Remember when you couldn't wait to get on a plane? That was then, Margot said smugly. This is now. <laughs> she put it into the drumstick again to remember something and moved in. Um, forgot. Party next Saturday night. Cocktails buffet. Be there. Kate went, do I have to dress up? Yes, lots of our customers. She swallowed again. Some of the hotel brass. Brian DeWitt. Pouty Kate. Turned off the machine. Grabbed a chicken tie out of the hammer. I don't like him. Of course not, Marcus the Drowler. He's gorgeous, charming, intelligent, well-traveled, absolutely hateful. He knows he's gorgeous, and that takes a lot of nerve. I don't really give a damn whether you like him or not. He's taking a lot of the weight off Josh here at the California hotels, grabbing a lot of the ground Peter Ridgeway lost for us. She caught herself and glanced over toward Laura. Peter was Laura's ex-husband, the girl's father, and whatever she thought of him, she wouldn't criticize him in front of Allie and Kayla. Just be civil. Just be civil. I'm always civil. Hey, guys. Kit called out and watched Jolly Kayla's pretty blonde heads pop up. We've got Mrs. Williamson's fried chicken over here, and Margot's eating it all. With shouts and scrambling feet, the girls dashed up to join the picnic. Laura came after them and sat cross-legged at Margot's feet. She watched her daughter scrabble over one particular piece of chicken. Allie won, of course. She was the older of the two. And in recent months, the more demanding. Divorce, Laura reminded herself, as Allie smugly nibbled her chicken, was very, very hard on a ten-year-old girl. Allie, pour Kayla a glass of lemonade, too. Allie hesitated, considered refusing. It seemed, Laura thought, as she kept cool, calm eyes on her daughter's mutitious ones, that Allie considered refusing everything these days. In the end, Allie shrugged and poured a second glass for her sister. 
We didn't find anything, Ellie complained. She was going to forget the fun she'd had giggling and digging in the dirt. It's boring. Really? Marcus licked a cube of cheese from a plastic can. For me, just being here and looking is half the fun. Well, whatever Marco said was to Allie gospel, Marco was glamorous and difficult. Marco had run away to Hollywood at 18, had lived in Europe, and had been involved in wonderful, exciting scandals. Nothing ordinary and awful like marriage and divorce. I guess it's kind of fun, but I wish we'd find more coins. Pers persistence kicked up the finger <coughs> from Allie's chin to her nose. Pace! What? would have happened if Alexander Graham Bell had given up before he put the first call through. If Indiana Jones hadn't gone on the last crusade. If Armani hadn't sowed that first seed, Marco put in and earned a fresh giggle. If Star Trek hadn't gone where no one had gone before, Laura finished, had the pleasure of seeing her daughter flash a smile. Well, maybe. Can we see the coin again, Aunt Margo? Margaret reached in her pocket. She'd fallen into the habit of carrying the old Spanish gold coin with her. Allie took it gingerly, and because she was odd, as always, held it so that Kayla could coo over her too. It's so shiny! Kayla touched her reverently. Can I pick some flowers for Sophia? Sure. Leaning over, Laura kissed the top of her head. But don't go near the edge to throw them over without me. Oh well, we always do it together. I guess I'll help her. Allie handed Margaret the coin, but when she stood up, her pretty mouth went in. Sophia was stupid to jump, just because she wasn't going to be able to marry Felipe. Marriage is no good anyway. Then she remembered Margot and blushed. <laughs> Sometimes, Laura said quietly, marriage is wonderful and kind and strong, and other times it isn't wonderful enough. We're kind enough, we're strong enough. But you're right, Allie, Sophia shouldn't have jumped. When she did that, she could ended everything she could have become, threw away all those possibilities. It makes me feel very sorry for her. She watched her daughter, her head drooping, shoulders hunched, walk away. She's so hurt, so angry. She'll get through this. Kate gave Laura's hand a bracing squeeze. You're doing everything right. It's been three months since they've seen Peter. He hasn't even bothered to call them. You're doing everything right, Kate repeated. You're not responsible for the asshole. She knows you're not to blame. Inside, she knows that. I hope so. Laura shrugged and picked out a piece of shit. Kayla just bounces and Allie broods. Well, I guess we're a textbook example that kids can grow up in the same house and be raised by the same people and turn out differently. Kate's stomach wrenched. True, Margaret had a low grade urge for a cigarette. <laughs> Quashed it. But we're also fabulous. Well, she smiled sweetly. Kate. Most of us. Just for that, I'm eating the last piece of chicken. Kate propped, popped a couple of thumbs first. Medication helped her to eat when she had the no desire for food. Nervous heartburn. She thought of the low burn just on her breastbone instead of thinking of it that way. I was telling Margot that I'd be able to pitch in at the shop on Saturdays. We could use the help. Laura shifted so she could continue the conversation and keep an eye on her daughters. Last Saturday was a madhouse, and I could only give Margot four hours. I could put in a I could put in a full day. Wonderful. Margot plucked some glossy grapes from a bunch. You'll be hunkered over the computer the whole time, trying to find mistakes. If you didn't make them, I wouldn't have to find them, but... Shout up a hand, not so much to avoid the argument as to make a point. I'll stay at the counter, and I have 20 bucks that says I make more sales than you do by the time we close. In your dreams, pal. On Monday morning, Kate wasn't thinking about dreams or treasure hunts. At night sharp, with her third cup of coffee at her elbow, her computer booted, she was behind her desk in her office at Biddle and Associates, following her daily routine. She had already removed her navy pinstripe jacket, 
draped it behind a chair, and rolled up the sleeves of her starched white shirt. The sleeves would be rolled back down, and the jacket neatly buttoned into place for her eleven o'clock meeting with a client. But for now, it was just Kate and numbers, and that was how she liked it best. The challenge of making numbers dance and shuffle and fall neatly into place had always fascinated her. There was a beauty in the ebb and flow of interest rates, T-bills, mutual funds, and a power she could privately emit and understanding even admiring the caprice of finance and confidentially advising clients how best to protect their hard-earned money not that it was always hard-earned she thought with a snort as she studied the account on her screen a good many of her clients had earned their money the old-fashioned way they inherited it even at the thought crossed her mind she cringed was that her father in her sneering at those who had inherited wealth taking a deep breath she rubbed a hand over the tense spot in the back of her neck she had to stop this seeing ghosts around every thought in her head it was her job to advise and protect and to ensure that any account she handled through Biddle was served well. Not only was she not envious of her clients' portfolio, she worked hard in glove with lawyers, bookkeepers, brokers, agents, and estate planners to provide each and every one of them the very best in short and long-term financial advice. That, she reminded herself, was who she was. What she revealed in was the numbers, their so stoic and dependable consistency. For Kate, two and two always and forever equals four. To realign herself, she skimmed through a spreadsheet for every spring nursery and gardens. The 18 months since she had taken over that account, she'd watched it slowly, cautiously expand. She believed strongly in the slow and the cautious, and the client had taken her direction well. True, the payroll had swelled, but the business justified it. it Outlay for the health plan and employee business, which was high and zipped at the profit margin. But as a woman raised by the Templetons, she also firmly believed in sharing success with the people who helped you earn it. Good year for Bonavilla, she muttered, made a note to suggest that her client ease some of the last quarter's profits into tax-free bonds. Rendered under Caesar, sure, she thought, but not one damn penny more than necessary. You look beautiful when you're plotting. Kate glanced up, her fingers automatically hitting the keys to store data, bring up her screensaver. Hello, Roger. He leaned against the door jam, posed. Was Kate's unflat unflattery thought? <laughs> Roger Thornhill was tall, dark, and handsome, with classic features resentment of Cary Grant in his prime. Broad shoulders fit beautifully under a tailored gray suit jacket. He had a quirk, brilliant smile, dark blue eyes that zeroed in flattering on a woman's face and a smooth hair tone that flowed like melting honey. Perhaps it was for all those reasons that Kate couldn't abide him. It was only conscious coincidence that they were on the same fast track for partnership. That, she sure so often, had nothing to do with why he ignored her, or just a very little to do with it. Your door was open. He pointed out and strolled in without an invitation. I figured you weren't very busy. I like my door open. He flashed that wide, toothy smile and He's the hip on to the corner of her desk. I just got back from Nevis, a couple of weeks in the West Indies. Sure clears out the system after the tax crunch. His gaze room over face. You should have come with me. Roger, when I won't even have dinner with you, why would you think I'd spend two weeks frolicking with you in the sand and surf? Hope springs eternal. He took one of the pencils, sharpened like swords, from her lucid holder, slid it idly through his fingers. Her pencils was always sharpened and always kept in the same place. There was nothing in her office that didn't have a proper slot. He knew all of them. An ambitious man, Roger made use of what he knew. He also made use of charm, keeping his eyes on her, smiling. I'd just like us to get to know each other again outside the office. Oh, Kate, it's been almost two years. 
Deliberately, she raised an eyebrow. Since? Okay, since I messed things up. You put the pencil down. I'm sorry. I don't know how else to say it. Sorry. Boy smiled. She rose to refill her coffee, though the third cup wasn't sitting well. She sat again, watching him as she sipped. Sorry that you were sleeping with me and one of my clients at the same time, or that you were sleeping with me in order to get to my client, or that you seduced said client into moving her account from my hands to yours. Which one of those things are you apologizing for, Roger? All of them. Because it didn't bother me worked with females, tried to smile again. Look, I've already apologized countless times, but I'm willing to do it again. I know business seemed best. Uh, Mrs. Turner, much less sleeping with her. Well, you and I were involved. There's no excuse for it. We agree. Goodbye, Kate. His eyes stayed on her, his voice flowing, just the way she remembered it had when she had moved under him. Climbing toward climax. I want to make things right with you. At least make peace with you. She cocked her head, considered. There was right in there, and there was wrong. There were ethics, and then there was the lack of them. No! Damn it! <laughs> With his first half temper, he stood up from the desk, the movement jerking up. I was the son of a bitch. I let sex and ambition get in the way of what was a good, satisfying relationship. You're absolutely right, Shane. And you didn't know me well the first time around. If you had any hope that I'd let you repeat the report performance, I stopped saying best months ago on a personal level. Oh, well. <coughs> oh, well, then. Leaning back in her chair, Kate enjoyed a good rolling laugh. Jesus Christ, you're a case, Roger. You think because you're cleared, cleared the field, I'm going to suit up and jump into the game? We're associates, she told him. And that's all. I'm never going to make the mistake of getting involved with someone at work again. And I'm never, repeat, never going to give you another shot. His mouth went. You're afraid to see me outside the office. Afraid because you'll remember how good we were together. Said, Roger, we weren't that good. My appraisal would be put us at adequate. Let's just close the books on this one. In the interest of sanity, she rose, held out a hand. You want to put it in behind us? Let's. No hard feelings. Intrigued, he studied her hand and her face. No hard feelings. No feelings at all. She stopped and sat on the seat. Fresh sheet, she said. We're colleagues, marginally friendly, and you'll stop pestering me about having dinner or taking trips to the West Indies. Took her hand. I'll miss you, Kate. Miss touching you all right. All right, he said quickly. It's all right. That's the best I can do. I'll take it. I appreciate you accepting my apology. Fine. Struggling to be patient, she tugged her hand away. Now, I've got work to do. I'm glad we worked this out. He was smiling again as he walked to the door. Yeah, right. She muttered. She didn't share. Slammed the door behind him. That would have indicated too much emotion. She didn't want Roger, the slime thornhill, to get the idea there was any emotion inside her where he was concerned. But she did close the door quietly, perfectly, before sitting back down at her desk. She took out a bottle of Mylanta, sighed a little, and chucked. He had hurt her. It was demoralizing to remember just how much he had hurt her. She hadn't been in love with him, but with a little more time, a little more effort, she could have been. They had had the common ground of their work, which she believed could have served as a strong foundation for more. She had cared for him and trusted him and enjoyed him. And he had used her ruthlessly to steal one of her biggest clients. That was almost worse than discovering he'd been jumping from her bed to her client's bed and back again. Kate took another swig from the bottle for recapping it. She had, at the time, considered going to Larry Biddle with a formal complaint, but her pride had weight whatever satisfaction she might have gleaned from that. The client was satisfied, and that was the bottom line, at Biddle. Roger would have lost some ground, certainly, if she'd filed a complaint. Others in the office would have disturbed... Disturb, 
distrusted him, pulled back from him, and she would have looked like the whining, betrayed female, sniveling because she had mixed sex and business and had lost. Better that she keep it to herself, Kate decided, and put my lancer back in her drawer. Better that she be able to stay straight to her fa his face that she had put the whole incident behind her. Even if it was a lie. Even if she would detest him for the rest of her life. With a shrug, she recalled her data. Better by far to avoid slick, smart, gorgeous men with more ambition than heart. Better, much better to stay in the fast lane on the career track and avoid any and all distractions. Partnerships was waiting while all the success it entailed. When she had the, that partnership had climbed to that next rung, she would have earned it. And maybe she thought, just maybe, when she reached that level of success, she would be able to prove to herself that she was not her father's daughter. She smiled a little as she began to run figures. Stick with numbers, pal, she reminded herself. They never lie. End of chapter 2.